thanks to White Paws Run Mitts for sponsoring our podcast. Run Mitts is one of our favorite products. In fact, we recently featured them on our favorite things list for 2021 and 2020. What's so great about Run Mitts mittens is that you can wear them as mittens and when you get a little bit hot, which often happens even in the cold temperatures, you can just lift the flap and continue wearing them without having to hold your gloves. Conversely, they keep your hands really warm. In fact, you don't really need hand warmers for these because they work so well, but in the event that it's so cold that you do, Run Mitts features a special pocket within the mitts where you can stick your hand warmers. Thank you so much to Run Mitts for sponsoring our podcast. And to all of our listeners, if you'd like to order a pair, head over to the runmitts.com website and enter the code RFF10. That's RFF10 for 10% off. While we pay a lot of attention to the shoes that we wear during our runs, what we put on our feet after our runs is just as important. That's why we love UFO's recovery shoes. As a recovery product, UFO's absorb 37% more impact than traditional footwear, which helps your feet, your ankles, your hips, and lower back recover faster. So while slipping into your favorite pair of UFO's after a hard workout gives you that ooh and ah feeling, you can wear them all day long. We wear ours around the house, while working from home at our stand-up desk, or even out and about running errands. Check out the UFO's line at www.ufos.com. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? Pretty good. We just, full disclosure, we just saw each other, right? We just had a wonderful um, happy hour get together with um, some of our really good friends that um, just all happen to um, be in our kind of our running community network, our our RFF um, community of experts that we rely upon. Um, And often many of them, we work at the uh, MCRC Run Performance Lab with, we volunteer there. So um, we had a really nice get together with Rachel Miller, our physical therapist, um, Kelly Redmond, who was just on our podcast a couple weeks ago, who we use as our trainer, and Kelly Scherf, our shoe guru. So it was like a meeting of the wonderful RFF um, uh, minds and our, our beloved experts. And it was just so, it was really a great, great time. We had a great get together, I thought. It was, and we really didn't talk about our running at all, which I love. Like we have so much in oh. common outside of running and it was really nice to not talk shop. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so it was great, and it was great to get to see you. Always great to see you, Lisa, and what a great day we've had because we got some fabulous news today. For those listening, um, this episode will go out on Friday, and today is Thursday, November 18th, and we received the news from the BAA that the Boston Athletic Association will be allowing all Boston Marathon qualified entrants to be admitted into the Boston Marathon this year the buffer is zero minutes and zero seconds. And that is so and exciting. And the first time since 2013 that there's been no cutoff. Um, so, you know, there was so much speculation of how would different factors affect, affect uh, the buffer. And, you know, I had mentioned on a previous podcast that I thought that um, the combination of some of the factors, one being that we just had a Boston in October. So, you know, a lot of people just aren't either ready to train again or in a financial position or just, you know, motivated to get back in just six months in April. So that was one factor. Second factor, um, BAA announced a vaccination requirement, uh, which we fully support. And, but there are people who do not support it and are not, uh, 
that is going to take a lot of people out of the out of the entry pool or did take a lot of people out of the entry pool. And then um, it's also holiday weekend. It's uh, Easter and Passover. And then the last factor I kind of thought would factor in is that um, international runners seem to be a little bit gun shy about signing up for races, um, travel being still kind of up in the air and, and really race registrations in general are sort of down. We've seen kind of a down, a down dip. So I figured it would be um, a lower buffer, but I never thought zero. And for us, we are delighted because we have some runners who qualified by a very small margin and we're pretty certain they weren't, they, they were sure they weren't going to get in because it was even under a minute and um, they did. And that was just the best news today to talk to a lot of runners who got in when they really didn't expect to. It's great news. And what a nice early holiday gift for everyone to not have that anxiety going into the holidays. When are they going to announce? Because they did originally say sometime in December. So how nice to kind of know your racing plans and know that um, you will be doing Boston if you decided to put your name in the hat and enter. And speaking of which, we were going to wait to announce this, but we can announce it today. We will be doing round two of our Boston Marathon Group Virtual Program, which was very successful during the last go round for Boston 2021. And that program is a virtual program where we provide runners with a schedule through final surge, um, feedback and regular guest speakers, experts who speak on topics related to running a marathon and just general coaching support, uh, pre-race meetup and also race prep. So it's, it's a great program and it also provides camaraderie in that people get to sort of meet online and interface with each other. And then of course, meet at our meetup before Boston. It's different than our private virtual coaching because it's not a specific tailored program for each individual, but we are, we'd like to think we're, we're Boston experts given that we've collectively run the race now 29 times. So we put together a, a great schedule that provides strength training and mobility work along with a schedule specific for Boston. So this is appropriate for those who aren't looking for hands-on coaching, but want a general schedule that is specific to Boston. Yeah, think of it as a support group for Boston runners. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, just get the, uh, like you said, the support, the camaraderie, a, a structured training plan. And, you know, we really, we really enjoy coaching um, not only our individual clients, which are really, you know, those, those programs are much more uh, specific and um, tailored individually, but in doing the group program, we can kind of bring to bear our experience in all of our Boston um, finishes and our Boston. That's sort of our, you know, our, our favorite race, um, one that we're really familiar with. So we um, really enjoy getting to uh, bring that knowledge to the table and help support runners who, like you said, maybe don't need that one-on-one -on -one individual coaching, but would like kind of a, a, a Boston-specific support structure. Um, and, and it was very successful. We, we had said um, last year that, that we were just going to do it that one time for the one and only uh, fall Boston marathon. And it was so successful. We got great feedback and we had such a fun time in Boston getting to connect with everybody who we had been seeing virtually for so many months that we decided we will do it again. So that information will be up on our website in the next couple of weeks and we'll announce it on our social media. Registration will open the program uh, kickoff will be at the beginning of January, the week of January 3rd, we'll do a kickoff via Zoom and the um, schedule itself will start January 10th, I believe, and um, and go all the way through um, through April. So keep your eyes open for that. We will make that announcement soon. Yeah, and we'll get the link up to register soon as well. It'll, we'll announce that and it'll be available in our show notes and on our website. 
So um, we are really excited about our guest this week. Uh, We've talked a lot, we've seen a lot about this, that Shalane Flanagan, of course, ran the six world marathon majors uh, over the course of two months. And what Shalane did is incredible. Finishing, of course, with New York in her fastest time, her final marathon was her fastest, which is unbelievable. And we and you called about, that. You called it ahead of time. Remember, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah, she was she was incredible, and it was really fun to follow Shalane's journey. But what we didn't realize till relatively recently is that there is someone else just as amazing as Shalane who did the same exact thing, and his name is Joe Drake. He's not someone that necessarily we've heard of. Um, he doesn't have a huge social media presence, but that doesn't make his accomplishment and what he did any less astonishing. What's really amazing about Joe is not only that he achieved exactly what Shalane achieved, but Joe was diagnosed a few years ago with Parkinson's disease. And Joe, um, understanding that the best way to uh, be able to work around the symptoms of Parkinson's disease is through vigorous exercise. So Joe, who had always been a runner, decided to go big or go home and become a marathoner. And he shares his story, how he casually did some amazing things while training for these six races. I don't want to spoil it, but the guy's a beast. And uh, we were just so grateful that he was willing to come on to our podcast and share his incredible story. And uh, we really think our listeners will, will enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, and not only is he a beast, but he's a master's runner. A great, say maybe grandmasters, a sixty plus is a grandmasters, but um, so it's not. You know, he's he's also um, in, a master's runner, which I think is always admirable, and somebody who didn't really pursue this until they were older. So, pretty awesome story. Yeah. So, without further ado, we'll bring on Joe Drake. So, Lisa, it was great to see you tonight, and I hope you have a great week. And Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll take the week off next week because it's Thanksgiving, but uh, I am so thankful for you, Lisa. I love you dearly, and I wish you and your family a wonderful Thanksgiving. Well, I am thankful for you and always grateful, um, but particularly this time of the year when we get to reflect on all the good things in our lives. So um, thank you, and have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie. Joe Drake, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We are so delighted that you are joining us today. Um, Most of us only hear about Shalane Flanagan these days, who completed the six world marathon majors within the last few months. But actually, there's also Joe Drake. Joe, we commend you. We admire you. We are inspired by you. We are in awe of you. And we are so grateful that you made it through all six, including Tokyo, we'll call the virtual Tokyo, and that you're here with us today to talk about it. So uh, let's get started. Could you give us a little background about yourself, your family, where you live now, and um, what you do in your spare time? Okay, Um, and it's a pleasure to meet you, Lisa and Julie. Thank you for reaching out. I'm delighted to be on this podcast. So um, I am 60 years old now. Uh, I've been married for 29 years, have two kids, a girl and a boy, and um, uh, let's see, um, we got married in California, uh, lived there for um, about 
34 years or so and retired to Seattle. So I'm in Seattle right now in 2018, starting in 2018. And uh, um, before that, I lived in Palo Alto, uh, California. Um, and my wife grew up in Seattle. So it was really about time that I get, let her get back to her roots after um, uh, squirreling her away from her family. And so now we're back in Seattle and I'm loving it. It's fantastic. And uh, uh, that's where we're at right now. I have to say, I was in Seattle a couple of years ago, right before COVID. My, my son is a cyclist and uh, cyclocross national championships were in Lakewood, Washington. So we spent some time in Seattle um, and it was uh, it was a little rainy and a little chilly, but it was actually beautiful. And I got in a few runs when I was there and it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to run. So um, Seattle seems seems like a great city and um, just a great, a great vibe out there. And how did how did you get in? When did you start running and how did you get into running? Yeah, um, I've been asked that question uh, recently a lot and and. I've been running my whole life and I, and I'm trying to think, when did I actually get started? And the farthest, farthest back the memories go is my dad used to run when he was, well, my whole life. And so he, he'd run every morning and sometimes I would join him. So when I was very young, we'd run on the beach, we'd run on the road and that sort of thing. But I've always run. Um, I had dabbled in track a little bit, but mostly my running was about staying in shape for other sports, specifically soccer. And when I was in high school, I wrestled, so I was running for that. Um, but then I just kept on running, and and I, um, for the most of most part, I would go three, four, five miles just to uh, stay in shape a couple times a week, and did the occasional five uh, k or ten k. And um, uh, triathlons here and there. So, when did you run your first marathon? Yeah, so the first marathon. So that that gets back into the um, the Parkinson's thing. So, uh, I was diagnosed with, with Parkinson's in in uh, twenty eighteen, and um, we had been planning to retire and that just accelerated as you know, once you have Parkinson's, you, you start getting a different perspective on life and things uh, take on a set of urgency, a uh, new sense of urgency. And so uh, we retired to, to Seattle land. And then one of the things about um, Parkinson's is that you, um, you can, the best therapy, one of the best therapies besides medication is to have vigorous exercise. And for me, I've always done vigorous exercise. So it's like, hallelujah, uh, that, that's, that's wonderful. And, and so, and then another thing is that you, you try to remo remove stress from your life. So retiring, remove stress from my life. I had more time now to exercise and being up in Seattle, um, I was thinking, what what would be my exercise? And of course, I could do a lot of things. I could bicycle. I could do soccer, all of that sort of thing. But it, when it what it came down to was that of all the things I like to do, if it had to be done in the rain, 
I was more happy running than anything else. And so I, I, I doubled down on running being in Seattle. And that's when I first had my idea of, well, maybe I can run farther than four miles or five miles. And so almost on a whim, I just, one of my workouts, I went for eight miles and I thought, well, gosh, that wasn't so bad. What would a half marathon be like? And I, uh, I trained for a half marathon, did that in 2019. So this is now when I'm uh, 58. Um, and then that went well. And I said, well, okay, next step is a marathon. So the first marathon I, I ran was um, in December of 2019. So that was, I was 58. That was the California International uh, Marathon, CIM in Sacramento. And I really enjoyed that. And then I, from there, you know, uh, I started coming up with new goals. Um, my, one of my first goals was to qualify for Boston. So I wanted to, I wanted to qualify for Boston at CIM. CIM is one of the, the premier feeder runs uh, for, for Boston. So I did get a BQ, but you know how that works. Um, you, you get a BQ, but that doesn't really get you into the race. It, my, my cutoff margin was not large enough. So I, I had hoped to take uh, a few more marathons in 2020, at least one more to get uh, to increase my chances of getting into Boston. And then 2020 happened. And, you know, uh, uh, and I, had so to, that's... I had to do a reset on all that. Okay. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here. I know Lisa's thinking the same thing as me. First of all, how amazing that you had never run marathons before. You use your diagnosis as a springboard to start running marathons. And then you casually throw in that you qualified for Boston, which is incredible. Before we get into your running a little bit more, we just wanted to ask you, because a lot of our listeners are not familiar with Parkinson's, can you share with us um, the process through which you were diagnosed and how long it took to diagnose you with it and, and what that looks like for you um, then and, and how running feels with Parkinson's? Yeah, um, and that, that's a, it's an interesting question, uh, mainly because um, Parkinson's is a very mysterious thing. Um, there's no real known um, cause of it. Uh, there's certainly no cure for it right now. And even diagnosis is a, is a very murky uh, business as well. There's no, although they're working on it, there's, there's no test definitive uh, that tells you that you have uh, Parkinson's. So, um, in my 50s, early 50s, I started getting, uh, you know, symptoms that were were bothersome. But I just thought, in terms of, well, I'm, I'm 50 and I'm getting old. You know, uh, things that I normally would do rather easily were starting starting to become hard to do. Um, I mean, even walking, my my, my legs were 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 kind of not working right and and it was very the movement was very stiff it was hard to hard to walk normally it was hard to run sometimes I would fall um uh when I'm when I'm running I lost a lot of strength and when I was playing soccer um 
which is one, one, my, one of my real go-to sports, uh, my, my agility wasn't there. My balance, my coordination wasn't there. And, I, and, and, and moves that I would normally take to be routine was suddenly not happening. I wasn't, I wasn't able to do these things. So, but, but as I say, I kind of brushed that off as being old age. And then um, I found out a, a, a sister of mine, and from, I'm a large, from a large family, I'm one of 12 children. Um, and, and so I, uh, my sister visited and she casually mentioned that two of my siblings have been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And although I sort of thought about that from my case in the, um, previously, I, I, I dismissed it mainly because there didn't seem to be anything you could do about it. And so I didn't really look into it too much more. But when I see that my siblings were, had, had it, I thought, well, maybe I should get this checked out. And so I had the, um, I, I went to a very good neurologist, um, that was just fortunate. Uh, sometimes you can't get a really good neurologist who understands these, these movement disorders. I had a good one. And she, um, she did the test. She said, well, it looks like it's, it's possible. And then, as I say, the diagnosis is a kind of a tricky business. But one of the, one of the things that's kind of the acid test is that they give you medication. You get the medication. If things improve, well, you know, you, you have it. And so that's what it is. I started taking the medication. In this case, it's called uh, Cinemet, which is a combination of levodopa and carbidopa. It's the gold standard for medication uh, for Parkinson's disease. Uh, I took that and suddenly, wow, it was like uh, a slight tremor that I had in my arm disappeared. Um, I was able to, to, to run more effortlessly and uh, my soccer skills returned. Um, so, so in that case, I'm one of the lucky ones. I mean, my, my, my symptoms were more or less kind of on the subtle side. Uh, when you look at me now, or even then, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think Parkinson's um, because a lot of the, I, mean, I don't have a, an obvious uh, tremor, but I do ha did have all these motion issues that you wouldn't know just by observing me, but, you, but I, I I felt it. Um, so I'm I'm lucky in that respect. In that uh, respect, and uh, a lot of people who have Parkinson's don't don't aren't as lucky as that. Um, but it I think it's still important that they they recognize that those symptoms and see a good neurologist. Thank you for sharing that. We really appreciate it because um, this is information that's not necessarily common to hear. And it's important for people to kind of know what Parkinson's look like, looks like and how it's different for everyone. So just um, following up on that, what, what does running feel like to you? How do you feel when you're running? And does it improve your symptoms? And do you feel it while you're running after or, or both? Yeah, well, I, I've always loved running, um, and so that hasn't changed. Um, but what's interesting about the, the Parkinson's and running, like I say, a vigorous exercise is, is good therapy. Um, 
I think I have a similar situation with running than most runners do. You you, uh, you go out for a run, maybe it takes a little while to get going, but once you get going, uh, it feels really good. And when you get back uh, after a good workout, I mean, you feel fantastic. So I, I have that sort of thing too. But I do think that part of um, running for Parkinson's is that um, you generate the chemical that is missing in a Parkinson's disease. Now, that, that's, a, that's a little bit controversial in some medical uh, circles, but I think it's becoming more uh, accepted that the brain, which is the part that, that's affected by Parkinson's part of the brain, um, has a way to sort of get around the deficiencies that the, uh, the disease uh, has. There's a, a part of the brain called the substantia nigra. It is um, what is implicated in Parkinson's. And in that part of the brain, the neurons are starting to die. And those neurons starting to die um, prevents uh, the generation of, uh, of uh, dopamine in, in the brain. And that dopamine is what's useful, what is used for, for motor function. I believe, and it, there's some literature to support this, that the that running creates dopamine in other parts of the brain and helps to, um, uh, to supplement what little you have as a Parkinson's patient. Um, so because of that, my symptoms are even less severe after all of this running. I think the combination of the medication that I take plus running has, has made it as almost as if I don't have Parkinson's anymore, which is which is fantastic, and and I'd like more people with Parkinson's to realize that that there is this um, path to take that is is worth considering. So it sounds to us like the obvious solution would be run a lot, which you know you kind of did once you had the diagnosis. You decided I'm going to run a mare. I'm going to run, going to double down and and run more. T talk to us a little bit about your training first for you know for that first marathon, but then um, subsequently, um, you know, once 2020 hit, talk to us about your training and how you balance that. Um, you know, trying to double down and run more with staying injury free and with your goals, um, kind of as you move forward. How do you how do you not run all the time? You know, it sounds like it would just you'd want to run all the time to to keep up that dopamine. But how have you how have you balanced that? And we'll, we'll segue then into kind of your what you what you've just done, which is a, a big feat, um, and you know a lot of marathons back to back. So how, how do you how do you balance that? How do you balance that um, that desire to to run a lot with the need? Especially as we get older, to recover. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, that's a good point. Um, uh, let's see where to start. I want I want to mention that uh, as part of this doubling down on on uh, running. Well, I'm retired, and so I have I have a lot of time. Um, so recovery is not a, a big issue for me, and it's because, you know, and, and, and really hats off to the people who don't have that benefit, but as a retiree, if I go out for a run, and if I'm you tired, I, I, I go take a nap. <laughs> you know, That's true. Uh, people That's who great. are full-time full parents or, or who are 
uh, working a full time, uh, fitting that in and training for a marathon. Uh, you know, I don't know. How, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that. I don't think I never did uh, when when I was working full time and, and a parent. But now I got a lot of time. But also, what's in what's fun and interesting in this is that um, when I started getting more interested in in running, and, and this was like in the last two years, I uh, there's this running store in Seattle that I really liked that had great service called West Seattle Runner um, in Seattle. And uh, one time I went there and I noticed a, a help a help wanted sign out front. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting. <laughs> so um, so I decided to, to apply and they, they took me. And so I worked there for, for like two years. So that was great to just have an opportunity to meet runners, but I learned so much about about shoes and about um, uh, nutrition and recovery, just because they were experts there, and I, I was motivated to learn that on my own. Um, so uh, I had a lot of help essentially by by having this job and. Um, and meeting people, meeting other runners, and, and meeting the people who work there, who could train me up on on all of this stuff. So uh, it was kind of a a jump start in terms of expertise that that helped me along. As for the the training, well, you know, I I uh, I'm I'm realistic about it. I I don't I don't run. Uh, I, I run five days a week. So I take two rest days. Um, and I, I do, I do the, the typical run program that people do for marathons. In fact, it, it's, I downloaded it off of runner's world is my, my, my first, uh, training plan. And you do, you do, a you do a weekly long run. Um, and that run starts out maybe at uh, 10 miles, works its way up to 20 miles. Uh, so I follow that program just like almost any other newbie marathoner would do. Uh, as far as injuries, well, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, th there was a time when I first started doing some of the sprint work where uh, it hurt my back and I, um, I have chronic back uh, issues. And so that required some extra um, time off uh, periodically. But as, as you run more and more, it starts getting easier. Uh, so starting out at 20 miles a week, that was a challenge. But then now I'm up around 40 or so, and and it, it, it's it's surprisingly easy, and it's surprisingly easy for me to recover from that. So what did your training look like for CIM? And the reason we ask is because we want to compare it to what your training subsequently looked like for the six world marathon majors that you just did. So. For CIM, you just mentioned you you did a typical training program. Um, did you also do strength training and um, anything anything of note that you did to qualify for Boston in that race? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'd like to believe, I'd like to think that I did something special, but no, I I, I basically followed a runner's world program. They, I I said. Um, Okay, my target, and, and, and bear in mind, 
I'm a lot older than you folks. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm kind of, at the time that I wanted to do CIM, I was in a sweet spot where I was 58, but the, the CIM I did qualified me for Boston when I would be 60. And so being 60, I gained 15 minutes in terms of Boston qualifying time. It, so it's, it's still hard. You, you're being <laughs> modest. It's still hard well, and clearly you are naturally talented. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not so sure about that, um, but um, I, I just, I just basically started with the idea of, uh, of okay, my, my qualifying time is, is uh, three hours, 50 minutes. Uh, there's a cutoff issue. I want to run three hours, 45 minutes. So I based all of my plans in terms of what a, a tempo run looks like, what a, a, a threshold run looks like. I based it all on that, that, that time. And then um, there's a little bit of a leap of faith at, as to whether or not you can actually achieve those uh, speeds. Fortunately, I was able to do that. Um, and using liberal use of my ability to uh, nap for recovery, uh, um, I was able to, uh, uh, to do that. So yeah, I, I sort of, I'm sort of shrugging it off. I know it's, it's, it's a difficult challenge in general. Um, uh, I, I guess I'm, I was just lucky uh, and I, I had the right naturally talented <laughs> the natural ability natural ability and you train you train properly so that's you know but like julie said don't don't undersell yourself it's still a you know it's still a, a an impressive feat to be able to do that especially in your first marathon well, well well thank you but but um i i i mean i didn't know anything about proper training and so i think it's important for people to realize that you have to have a right training plan. You, have, you should invest the time into studying that and learning what it is that, um, that makes for a good training plan. Certainly don't just go out and wing it. Um, if you have the right resources to, to look through and uh, a coach uh, that can help you along, uh, I think that's, that makes a big difference. Yeah, we, we support we support the use of coaches for sure. Um, but so so tell us a little bit then how how did your idea to run the six world marathon majors how did that kind of come into fruition and how did it then happen that you ended up running them all together uh, you know just this fall? Uh, yeah, so as I said, my 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 goal was really uh, to be able to qualify for Boston and. Uh, I didn't, although I had a BQ in my, in my marathon, it wasn't enough margin. I mean, I only had like 25 seconds or something like that, that, that wouldn't hit any cutoff time. So I, I wanted to run something more, but then, but then I thought, okay, well, well, what's after Boston? And I just, I don't know, did some research and then found just stumbled upon this whole idea of the world marathon majors and the six stars. And I thought, well, uh, that looks like fun. And there's another, as I mentioned before, with Parkinson's, there's this a sense of urgency. So you kind of get uh, this feeling that 
that, you know, time's a wasting. The disease progresses, there's no cure. So um, at the time I was thinking, well, who knows how much longer I can continue to operate at this at this level. Let's uh, let's go for it. Let's let's see if we can do this in a single year. Because I had read that although there are a lot of people, I think seven thousand or so at this point, who have done all all six of these uh, races, there's a very small uh, number that's all, that's been able to do it in a single year. So I said, okay, well. Um, uh, 60 years old appears to be the magic number. And so let's go for it in 2021. So I, I started thinking about how, how we would do that. Um, I had already qualified for Chicago. If I did a little bit better, I could shot, uh, qualify for Boston. If I did a lot better, I could qualify for New York. So I started thinking about how that would work. Um, and then 2020 happened. <laughs> well, 2020 happened right when I needed to improve my marathon uh, time and get better at it. And um, with that pandemic, it uh, it was never ever clear during all of 2020 whether any of these races would happen in 2021. I was starting to to think that I'd have to uh, abandon that and it might be 2022 that I have the best shot at it. Um, as you know, 20, a lot of these races were were canceled outright in 2020s, and the ones that weren't canceled were like London and, and uh, Tokyo were, were downsized to only elite runners. Who knows how long that would have would have gone on? So, um, although I had that goal, it looked like uh, it was on uh, shaky foundation at that point. And then as uh, 2020 progressed, they started scheduling them all for that, that, uh, that six-week period. And I was thinking, well, okay, that's ridiculous. That, that's not going to happen. Um, and then um, and I thought, well, okay. So when you, when you train for a marathon, you generally, the, one of the staples, as I mentioned before, is this long run. And you do this long run in uh, once a week. And all of these marathons were, uh, were, were piling up on the weekends. And I'm thinking, well, okay, let's not train for all those marathons. Think, think in terms of training for the last one in New York. And all the other ones are just your long runs. And if and if you if you look at it that way, and if you're not planning to get any personal records, if you if you just take them as long, slow runs and and um, manage your body and your heart rate uh, appropriately, well, yeah, that actually starts making sense. Um, there's one training cycle. You put them all into one training cycle. You don't have six training cycles of, uh, around the uh, year to make that work. And I, I was thinking, well, that that's actually not too crazy. Except when Boston came in, decided to put their their race right after Chicago the next day, and so so that theory doesn't work so well uh, anymore. But I just had this goal and. Um, 
somehow the goal wouldn't wouldn't release me and, and i decided i was just i was just gonna go for it um and try to figure out how to how to do it and, and frankly running back-to-back marathons in consecutive days well that's a thing now and there's a lot of people who know how to do that and there's a lot of people that have shared how they do it well how they do it is they it just run slower so um I, I was already bought into that idea so um generally it it, it i i just there seems to be more reason for me to stay with the goal than to abandon it. And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going to abandon it so, so lightly. Now, keep, bear in mind, I'm the only one who knows about this goal. I have not told anybody, I haven't told my wife. Um, so it was okay. It was like, I, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't exposing myself in any way, but at the same time, I really wanted to do that. So before we talk about executing all six races, uh, we would imagine that the logistics were also tough to imagine because you had to secure entries for all of them. You, ha- um, you had to also make plane flights and particularly with Boston and Chicago being back to back. So uh, talk to us about some of the things you had to go through and some of the hoops to get entries to all of the races and also um, make sure that you didn't miss flights between Chicago and Boston. With COVID, too. And imagine international travel with COVID, too, was I know a little bit, you know, it wasn't, we weren't quite sure how that was going to work out. I know a lot of people running Berlin were worried leading up to Berlin. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, all of that is, is absolutely true. So I started, I started thinking through how to get into the races. And I basically decided January of this year that I was going to do it. So let's let's start figuring it out. Um, as you met, as you sort of alluded to, you, there's there's various ways to get into the races. Some of which, like qualifying times, I was going to make it. Uh, the lotteries, if there were going to be anyone, any of them, I'd already missed them, or the the chances of getting in by lottery are, are very weak. Um, I did know that for the international ones, Berlin, London, Tokyo, you can get an international tour operator um, where you basically buy a tour and with it uh, comes a bid. So I was in- intending to do that for Berlin and Tokyo and, and signed up for them and actually got them. Uh, and that was through a company called Marathon Tours and Travel. Uh, so I got them signed up. I had Chicago by qualification, so that was that was done. And the rest of them, I knew I wanted to do a charitable uh, them. And the only one that made sense for me was the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. And that's so I was I wanted to be a member of Team Fox and. Um, I contacted a person, her name was Liz Berger at uh, Team Fox, and she was great. She said, she basically um, worked with me through, actually, this is now starting in January and the final, uh, the final um, uh, race rosters for, for those races didn't come out 
weren't established until roughly June. We just worked on it um, for those uh, few months to get me into those uh, uh, races. So I, I'm indebted to Team Fox for, for that. And um, I'm very happy with the, uh, the work by Marathon Tours and Travel to get me in. But yes, as you alluded to, all of this was on a risk basis. I mean, I, I'm signing up for these things and I'm starting my training and I'm spending every day looking at, at the newspaper and online to see what what, what the uh, case rates are for COVID in these various countries. And, um, you know, any given day, I, I might have come up with a different idea. And sometimes people would be, be sending me information from Team Fox or or uh, or um, Marathon Tours and Travel. It's like, do you really want to do this? Because you know it's getting kind of risky, and we're not we're not going to refund your money if it if it's if, for the travel and logistics if 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 they pull the plug on these races. Um, so yeah, it was pins and needles the whole way, and it made it exciting. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a challenge. And and around around this time, by the way, I, I started in July, July fifth. I started my blog, so I I I wanted to document this all for for this sort of thing. So I I started a blog with with weekly entries, and I knew that I was I was planning to have twenty entries that would take me from July through all the training. And, and then end with a travel log with all of these uh, races and and how they all uh, worked out. And this was helpful in terms of keeping my friends and families uh, uh, members uh, educated and updated on what I was doing, and it helped to to raise uh, the charitable funds that he needed uh, for for Team Fox. And now I've got something that I can look back on um, uh, to say uh, how this all went. We'll link as to that in, in our show notes. Is it something that we could link to in our show notes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It's, uh, um, I, can, I can send you the link or, or something, but it's, it's called uh, Joe's Gotta Run. So that's one word, Joe's Gotta Run dot medium dot com. And okay. If you go back all the way to July fifth, you you get the whole you get the whole story. A lot, uh, um, actually, an extended version of what I'm telling you here. Uh, no, that's then, great. Then, I think a lot of people are probably wondering what that process looked like. So yeah, yeah, um, actually, that's great that you that you documented it. Right. Yeah. Um, and that that's been actually that was one of the pleasant surprises about this whole thing. Um, there were there are many pleasant surprises, but this one, the fact that people would actually read this and enjoy it and and tell me later that they liked the writing, that was a that was a surprise to me that that people would actually enjoy that. I wasn't really doing it. That's how we that. feel about this podcast. <laughs> that's how we feel about our podcast. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Right. So, you, so you know where I'm coming from. Is you put something out yeah. there and people actually, and it helps people and they enjoy it. 
Yeah, or, they actually yeah. they actually read or they actually listen and you hear from them, which is always always a treat. And I, I do, I think it's it's really valuable. So I'm I, you know, both of us probably share the same thought that that's really that was good foresight of you to start that early and and you know, record it for posterity's sake. But um so so talk to us a little bit about um kind of then um starting you know the, the whole process of going through of through the races and and particularly um I, I'm interested in the Chicago to Boston um because that is you know the other ones like you said if you look at it as a long run then you're just you know it's the travel the logistics um but talk to us first of all you know which was your favorite if you had a favorite and second of all the Chicago Boston weekend that what that what that was like this is a Boston Marathon podcast so we like to talk about Boston but um yeah talk to us a little bit about if you had a favorite and and how you worked the Chicago and Boston logistics. Um, yeah. So if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start with the Chicago to Boston um, thing. And uh, so the, the other races had their challenges um, uh, to Berlin's in the uh, EU. London is in the UK. They had different, requirements for COVID and all that. So there's a bit of juggling. It's like in the in the EU, I could just get in with a vaccination card, but the the UK, I had to take a test to get into the UK. I had to take a test to get out of the UK. I had to take several tests while in London to get me into the expo and another one to get me into uh into the race. Um and and you know I had this this folder with me with all these printouts trying to figure, make sure that I, I did all the right documents all, all the way because I could have made a mistake somewhere along the lines and, I'm, and the threat was that I just couldn't, it wouldn't be allowed in the race. Uh, Chicago and Boston was different because, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, they're so close together. And, and bear in mind, you have to get those, uh, your race packets, uh, when the expo is open and you have to get it yourself, you, you, can, you can't send a, a, a substitute. So the, the way I worked that out is after London, the next, the next race was uh, Chicago, but I didn't go straight to Chicago. I went to Boston and I trained in Boston that week because uh, what I needed to do was when the expo opened on that Friday, go into um, the expo, get my bib. Then the next day, um, I fly to Chicago, get my bib, um, run Chicago, and then fly back to Boston and run Boston. Because there wasn't enough time to run Chicago and get back to Boston in time before the expo closed. And so that that was a lot of juggling around. And then in in on top of that, uh, I had to, I'm assuming that after Chicago, I'm depleted, my glycogen's gone. So I have to carbo-load. Um, and not only carbo-load, you can't just carbo-load, but your, your body's been, been damaged to some extent. You have to have some protein as well. So you know, it's, it's not just pasta. Uh, and so I had to find a way in that time to eat and, and and I actually practiced that a little bit uh, before I'll get to that in the, in the training plan. But um, uh, yeah, that was, I had to have the right kind of food on the airplane. So I had to buy food ahead of time and, and eat it on the plane. It turns out I didn't feel like eating. I felt sick. Um, and 
it was yeah it was a, it was it was a bit of a challenge everything worked according to plan but not as well as i had planned like i i gave myself a very a fair bit of margin from the end of the the chicago race to get to the airport but what i didn't allow for is that although i had a starting time of like 7 30 for chicago well, I didn't actually reach the start line for 15 minutes afterwards. And then Chicago was really hot and it was very difficult, hot and humid day. So I didn't really uh, run very well at all. And so I came in 15 minutes after uh, I was 15 minutes. It took me 15 minutes longer to run the race than I thought. So total of half an hour of heat eating into the, my margin. Then I had to get to the airport. Um, that was one place. Another place where Team Fox was instrumental because they they had a, a place where I could shower uh, right after the race, which and very close to the the to the finish line. So that was helpful. But uh, I was really feeling awful, and I had to roll my suitcase and get onto the uh, L subway line in Chicago to get to O'Hare, and I was. I was just not feeling it. It was it was a struggle just to just to get there. And it's one of those things. I get into the airport and I'm approaching the gate and I have and I'm I'm, I'm just struggling along, hoping that I'm still going to be allowed onto the plane. And they're looking at me and they say, "Are you Joseph?" It it was like, okay, I'm one of the last people getting on the plane. They know my name, and I'm within five minutes of losing my seat. But I got on and I figured that as long as I got onto that plane, I will get to the start line of Boston. And so I knew, and if I got to the start line of Boston, I would finish it. So that that was the critical moment. And it, it basically all came together for that. So that that what you just described to us sounds actually harder than running a marathon. Seriously, the anxiety and the pressure of getting you know, finishing the race, getting to Boston, and then of course relying on the airlines themselves, which I'm sure you recall we do too, because we ran Boston that weekend. There were multitude of problems with particularly Southwest and a few other airlines. So I'm sure you also were anxious about the airline as well and your flight being on time and making Boston your your race in Boston. Oh, oh, absolutely. And and you're you're right. There are plenty of times where I thought, um, that just getting my butt to these these races was was the bigger challenge than actually uh, running. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Southwest. I originally would have wanted Southwest, but for some reason I had the the foresight to um, switch my plane to United. Um, not to endorse um, various companies or whatever, but United had a lot of backup flights. There were several several flights going between the two cities that, that Southwest couldn't do. And that uh, that helped a lot. Plus they were closer, O'Hare as opposed to Midway. Uh, so I, th I, I thought that uh, would be my better chance. And that wor worked out okay. Uh, That's a great tip. And I mean, I'm sort of listening to this and we're thinking about people who will be doing this in the future. That's a tip. Another tip that we would love to hear more about is 
what exactly did you eat to get carbs and protein in between Chicago and Boston? Cause you didn't want to have too much protein before your next race, but like you pointed out, you also wanted to recover. What did you plan, uh, plan to eat since you said you didn't feel like eating? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, just to back up just a little bit on the training plan, uh, because I had these two races back to back, I knew that, uh, I couldn't just use a normal, a marathon training plan. I had to, I had to, to practice running back to back long runs. So I started out, yeah, I started a program of doing like Friday, a long run and Saturday, a long run. And it started out with 10 miles, 10 miles and worked my way up to 20 miles and 20 miles. So I had, that was my closest simulation of, of this race. And in, in between that, the 20 miles to the next 20 miles. And, and I'd always do a, a flat run first and a, a hillier run the second one uh, to, to mimic the two races. And between that, I would do my, my, my fueling. And that's one of the things, one of my uh, blogs. And, I, you know, I'm a, a big nerd about all this. I'm, I'm a retired engineer. So I, I kept spreadsheets and I kept uh, tallies on all this. And I, I, I figured out what the, what the accepted amount of grams of, of carbohydrates you needed and grams of protein and all of that. And I, I put that all into a, uh, a spreadsheet and decided what I was going to eat during that training run. And that worked out pretty well. When I did the 2020 as a training, I felt really good at the second one. Didn't, didn't hit a wall. Um, I felt uh, marvelous. But this is training in Seattle. In Seattle, everything's nice and cool. It's kind of pleasant. In Chicago and Boston, it was a lot hotter. Um, and so, and that sort of depletes your body uh, worse than otherwise. So in Chicago to Boston, I decided, well, I needed this, there's this rule of thumb, four to one, four um, uh, parts, four grams of, of carbs to one gram of, of protein. And I did a little thinking, I was like, well, what, do I, what would I want to eat in, in that kind of scenario? And I decided on chicken fried rice. So I have chicken fried rice, has, um, has the right ratio. Uh, I, I thought I could uh, eat that pretty well. And although I couldn't really eat it all on the plane, because I just my stomach was was not uh, dealing with it very well, I did eat it before um, Boston because I wasn't sleeping really well because my legs were cramping all night um, between uh, Chicago and Boston. So I was up a lot. So I ate that and everything else I could eat and, uh, that we had on hand, and I felt like I was fueled uh, fairly well. Uh, and I hydrated all that during the night. So I didn't really get that much sleep in the, but I got enough. The, the race, my, my start time in, in Boston was not until 1130. And I was like, that was fantastic. It gave me a few more hours to, uh, to, uh, uh, to get ready for it. And by 5 a.m., my, my cramps went away. And so I was, it was actually, uh, I was feeling pretty good and had a had a nice um, bus ride and to uh, to Boston to Hopkinton and uh, and and as by the way I was staying staying in an Airbnb 
very close to Copley Square, so it was, it was really easy to get from, to just walk from my Airbnb to the public garden to get on the bus. Um, that worked out uh, very well. So I have to ask, you said you felt good at, you know, the Boston start, but really, how did you feel running the day, you know, running another marathon the day after Chicago? How how does that feel? And how do you uh, mentally, was it mentally a challenge to get through that? Or was it just, you know, but you're, you're in Boston now, you wanted to run in Boston, you wanted to be in Boston, you know, was the thrill of being in Boston. What did it, what did it feel like physically and mentally to run those back-to-back -back marathons? Um. Well, uh, so physically, it's a challenge. I mean, uh, I it, it was hard. Um, Boston, but um, though, starts out with an uh, half of it is downhill. Uh, so, so that helps. That helps quite a lot. So I was actually feeling pretty good at the beginning. Now, now bear in mind, every single one of these marathons has just fantastic crowds. So the, they're all, the whole race is lined with people cheering you on. Strangers, people you don't know are, 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 are trying to get the best performance out of you that they can. And, the, and it's a huge emotional lift. So the emotional part of it was, was handled by, by the crowds. In Boston, even more so because I used to, um, I went to school in Boston and there were some, some folks still in the area and they came and, and so I had several cheer locations where they would, actually Team Fox would have cheer locations. I had um, my friends join them. So there were places uh, along the race that I'd get uh, at critical points, like right before Heartbreak Hill and other places that would make me feel uh, just you know, help me along in that respect. Uh, now, I'm also uh, the physical part of it certainly was was hard, and I normally don't walk during marathons, but I, but I had to take the walk run strategy in this because it, it was just I, I I just couldn't keep uh, going the whole way. In fact, in Boston, I think I think I went pretty well, but I had to run, I had to walk. Uh, gosh, I think it was mile 21 because I was just getting all lightheaded. Um, I, I, I couldn't really uh, uh, function all that well. So, but once once you allow yourself to walk a mile or so, it all comes back, and then I felt uh, good enough um, to to run at the very end, which is very important because you want to have a, a, a nice looking form as you're you're crossing the finish line. I'd also point out that another emotional um, uh, surge occurs at uh, Wellesley at, at about uh, 13 miles. And so, although we were warned and uh, admonished about this in the official Boston Marathon rules, hey, uh, runners are discouraged from kissing strangers at the um at the halfway mark and so I'm like okay well that's official didn't know that was a thing but okay uh, i'll 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 steer clear of that but we 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 managed to get around that we did socially distanced uh blowing of kisses back uh back and forth and that 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 
you know, all of that helps. All these crowds are just are just fantastic uh, that way. So which which race out of um, all six? In, in, because we have to talk about this too. You then ran New York, and you also did Tokyo virtually. Uh, which race was your favorite? Yeah. So um, and 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 I reiterate the fans everywhere just fantastic. So um, and that was something that I I, I wasn't. I didn't fully appreciate until I did it, but th my favorite was was absolutely New York, um, and the reason that is, first of all, the temperature was normal, was something that I could live with. Everything else was in the 60s, 70s, but New York started out at uh, uh, 51, so right off the bat, I was going to feel better. I knew about that, and also I knew. From talking to all of these wonderful marathoners that I've met in all the other races, uh, they had informed me that New York is the best. They just New York New Yorkers just go wild. Now I grew up in New York. I, I grew up on or uh, Long Island, uh, very close there, and that's not the kind of New York that I thought of when I was growing up. But um, it, I was told that it's just it's just amazing. But on, on top of that. I also had my um, family members, some of, some of those many siblings I mentioned, plus my, my wife and my daughter and other friends uh, cheering for me at, at various locations. And, and that, you know, the crowds, the temperature, um, and, and my, uh, the cheering, plus I, I, for the first time I, I, I had my name on my jersey, and so it, it was as if the whole city was urging Joe to, to make it through this, this race. And then my family surprised me on that. They, at one of the cheer stations, they, the first one that I got to with them, they, they had cut out a photo of me, blew it up and put it, uh, a photo of my face and put it on yardsticks. And there were the eight of these Joe heads lining the street as I was, <laughs> as, as I was, sorry. That's amazing. As I, was, as I was coming up to this and I see all of these faces, <laughs> it, it, was, it was really overwhelming. And so, yeah, by far New York, New York topped the whole, the whole list. And we also want to ask you, uh, how much did you raise in total for the Michael J. Fox Foundation? Yeah, so my my um, so so I I had them for three races. Uh, that was uh, uh, Boston, New York, and London. Uh, I crashed the party in Chicago. They 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 because they I, I didn't I was qualified, but they let me uh, join in all the parties and all that. The total commitment for that was twenty six thousand, but uh, that was my commitment. I actually, so far, I've raised thirty six thousand and change. That is incredible, Joe. That is um, not only is your physical feat that you've done um, after a diagnosis of Parkinson's incredible, but I think just listening to you and listening to you recount your New York experience too under underscores the fact that running these races isn't just about the physical accomplishment, but it's about 
um, what the meaning behind it. And I think, you know, so many times we talk about marathons, our own experiences, we've interviewed people and we get choked up about the experience. It's because it's not the physical experience. It's like the emotional experience and for you to be able to do this and um, at the same time, raise money for such an important cause that's near and dear to your heart and, and also raises a good point that you know people talk a lot about charities and whether or not they should run under a charity bib and we always tell them if you find a charity that speaks to you um then the experience is extremely meaningful and and i think that you you really demonstrate that so um that is uh you know that's such a and and you've said several times you know how how instrumental they were in in your experience um in this in this journey that you that you've undertaken so um, that that's that's pretty remarkable, and what a again, it, it's a physical accomplishment to do all those races in that time, but it's also uh, really really meaningful. We can tell it's for you. Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's uh, meaningful in that respect. But but again, there's there, there were so many little details, unexpected, um, pleasant things that came up that just just blew me away. I mean, one. You know, as, as, I, as I mentioned, I hadn't done too many marathons, but I, I did all of these in a short period of time, and I met a lot of marathoners. And this is a universally wonderful group of people. I mean, I, I, I never knew that. And this was, I've met so many more people, so many, many more people are following me on Strava, and we're, we're, we're you know, when, when you think of American sports, I think of, of so much divisiveness and, and trash talking and that sort of thing. You don't get any of that in running. I mean, everybody is supporting each other. It's, and that, that part of it was just, just blew me away. I mean, I, I had people like, like you mentioned, Karen. Karen, I, I, I spoke to her just a little bit in Berlin. She contributed to, to my, uh, uh, the Michael J. Fox campaign. I mean, there were a lot of people like that. Just Shout out to uh, Karen were, Ryan. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, just motivated by uh, the story and, and reaching out. It's, it, it, that part is something that will, I'll, I'll take away forever, honestly. And I'll, I'll forget the physical discomfort, but I won't forget that. So what's yeah. next? <laughs> what's next, Joe, now that you've done this? And first of all, we hope you're recovering and, and taking that time to let your body recover from this. But, but really, how do you come off of that and then not um, think about what's next? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned recovery because, yeah, I, I, took, the, I took the day off after, after um, New York. Um, um, and the day. Then, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back to, I have another, I have a half marathon coming up. I mean, when, when you, when you train for recovery, that's what, what happens. I, 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 I did not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you two, and you, you understand when you, when you run for a personal uh, record, you trash your body and, and, and you gotta, you gotta take time off and, and every training plan will, will allow for that. But if you're not running for a personal record and frankly, I was um, an hour off of, of my, my personal best in, in any of these races, um, the recovery actually comes pretty quickly. Um, so what's next? 
Wow. Uh, people ask me that a lot. And um, on the one hand, it's like, well, I, I can't think of anything that tops this, really. Um, I can't think that I really want to do anything that is topless or anytime soon. Uh, maybe something insane will come up over the next few years and, and, I'm, I'm, and I get intrigued. I, I do know that I still want to get into Tokyo. Um, there's still a possibility, however remote, of being, my being able to run Tokyo in March of 2022. They are, and in fact, it is the 2021 race that they're running in March of 2022. So that hits my original goal of running them all in 2021. So that would be nice. Um, in the course of my training I, I, uh, for these six, I did some marathons in, in June. And one of them, I have like a seven minute margin over a cutoff margin for Boston. So I would like to run Boston again in 2022 and get back to my goal of running Boston on my own merits. So I love how you gloss over that, by the way, we, we just, at the end, you kind of bury the, the, the second lead, which is in while I was casually training for my six races, I also qualified again for Boston, but this time with a seven minute buffer. So Chances are we'll see you then um, in Boston 2022. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Are you, are you both going to run there? Oh, yes. So oh, we excellent. would like to meet you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, may see you, but but probably, uh, I don't know when. You, you're a lot faster than I, I am, if I remember your uh, your time. So, oh, no, uh, we would make a point to meet you, Joe. There would be, we would we would love to meet you and and say hello in person. You are it, it, truly, <laughs> it would not be a problem. But um, just to your point, we just, um, I love how you glossed over that little <laughs> accomplishment within your many accomplishments. Um, yeah. So as we close this out, we just, we feel like you really have underlined something that we talk about a lot on our podcast, which is that, as Lisa pointed out earlier too, running is so much more than your times. It's it's really the times is, is very, is, is a very small part of what running means to, to most athletes, including you. And the fact that you share this accomplishment with one of the most accomplished runners in the world, Shalane Flanagan, truly underlines that this experience for her and you similarly, were much more about the experience and not the times. So um, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with us. We want to stay in touch with you. We look forward to continuing to follow your journey. And we will also link up in our show notes, um, the donation link, um, so that those who are interested can donate to your cause and support team box. And we certainly will donate as well. So Joe, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And we look forward to seeing your journey continue. Well, the pleasure was mine. Thank you very much for having me here. And, uh, yeah, I, Absolutely. would look forward to uh, meeting you in Boston. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Great, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.